Welcome everyone to VeloNut. I'm Jeff Whitfield, and if this is your first time joining us, if you consider yourself an average Joe cyclist, you're not into racing, you're just looking to find the next big adventure on your bike, well then, you are in the right place. You may not be able to ride like a pro, but you can at least ride like a geek. Now, before we get started with the podcast, we do have to get a couple things out of the way. First, how you can help VeloNut. Well, there are a number of ways you can do so. If you are listening to the podcast right now, depending on where you're listening, um, if you're, say, on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you like to listen to your podcast, one of the best things you can do for us that would be a great help is to post a review and or, and or comment about the podcast. Let us know, let other people know what you think. Also, you can head on over, if you, again, if you're not there already, uh, over to velonut.com. We do have uh, other articles and videos and stuff that we uh, post from time to time. And you can follow us on our RSS feed or hop on over to... Uh, your favorite social media platforms such as Facebook or Twitter, follow us there, and we'll definitely keep you abreast of what we're doing. Uh, a couple of the ways you can also help us. If you have an idea for an article or, or topic, let us know. Hop over to our comments page and uh, just uh, drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, two, more, two more things. Um, if you would also like to contribute directly to Velonut, you can uh, do so by becoming a patron. And the way you do that is to just hop on over to patreon.com slash podcast or no 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 that's not it patreon.com slash velonut you're already on the podcast derp um and uh, any contribution you can make this is a labor of love so obviously it was not a full-time job so any contribution you can make and always just help us kind of offset our costs and we appreciate it um and last but not least if you represent a company that maybe has some bicycle related stuff or something you think that would be interesting uh to velonut uh, let us know we would love to have you as a sponsor uh, and speaking of which, that is the last thing we're going to talk about. And lastly, we're going to talk about our sponsor, which is the, uh, our one and only sponsor right now with uh, Velonut, and that is Hanski Gloves. Um, I found out about these guys about a year ago, uh, on my search for, uh, you know, for a better glove to, to ride with and definitely stumbled on them and, and checked them out and bought a pair and was really shocked and amazed at how good their gloves were. Um, they offer just fantastic protection for your hands. Uh, has they're really really comfortable, and depending upon uh, what you're looking for, whether it's summer or winter or somewhere in between, their gloves certainly fit the bill. So they offer three different kinds of gloves. They have a lightweight glove, which is great for summer. It's a full fingered lightweight glove. Um, they also offer a uh, just I think this last summer they started offering a fingerless glove. So if you like fingerless gloves as opposed to full finger. They got you covered there. And last but, the, last but not least, they also have a winter glove, which is a, a full-fingered uh, glove as well, because why would you ride fingerless in winter? Um, but it uh, um, offers kind of like a nice windproofing material. Um, and all three of these are fantastic gloves, fantastic quality. Um, highly, highly, highly recommend them. Go check them out at handski.com. That's H-A-N-D-S-K-E dot com. And with all that out of the way, it is time to get on with the show. So, of course, I bring back my partner in crime, Mr. James Wilson of uh, Pedaling Innovations and MTB Strength Training Systems to talk about cardio and the importance it has on your overall health and training. And we also talk about breathing, which was a really interesting topic. Um, and James really had a lot to say about that one, too, um, and how even proper breathing has such an impact on your performance and how it can actually even uh, help 
improve your fitness in a variety of different ways. So we're going to talk about that. And then we also talk about meditation and the impacts it can have, not just on your physical health, but also your mental health and how there's an interconnection between the two. And uh, I should also say, towards the end, we do get a little salty. And we say some things that... Well, let's just say some people might not like, and I tell you, and I just want to let, let you warn you in advance. So get a little salty, just a little bit. Nothing really to be afraid of. Um, and we say some things that you know, just it's all in good fun. It's just I just want to make sure and make that very very clear. Um, I do not like to uh, uh, hinder anyone or edit anything out or censor anybody. Definitely not going to censor James. Uh, so. You know, we have certainly have a, a pretty dominant personality. So all that said, it's all in good fun. So sit back, relax, and get ready for another heavy-hitting episode with a lot of heavy-hitting topics with uh, myself and James Wilson. And let's hit it. All right. So I went ahead and just started the darn thing because why not? Why right. not? Here yeah. we are. All right. So we are back again to do yet another awesome episode of Bellonut Podcast. And yes. uh, well, before we begin, though, we got to introduce you, man. Back again with us is uh, James Wilson of Pedaling Innovations and MTB Training Systems. How's it going, man? Going great. Going uh, awesome. Beautiful fall day here in Fruta. So uh, can't complain. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. It's like, you know, we're kind of in the middle of winter. And I, I literally was talking about that yesterday, last night, uh, with somebody about how Texas weather is always so jacked up. Uh, mm -hmm. But it's like winter all of a sudden just comes all at once. You know, we get like freezing temperatures just before like a rain or something like that. And then everybody freaks out because the roads are frozen over. <laughs> yeah, man. That black ice is, is real. Yeah. And then you get these idiots that get on these like, you know, big four by four trucks and they think oh, I'm mm. impervious to it. It's like, no, you're not, buddy. You got more surface area. <laughs> yeah. Dude, it's funny. You see that here in uh, Colorado, like people like driving over the I-70 to and from Denver. Like right. That, the you know Vail Pass and Eisenhower Pass like those things will get super sketchy in the winter, and I mean it's to the point where I actually, I it'd be really hard to get me to make that drive in the winter, especially if I thought weather was moving in. I've done it once or twice. Like there was once where I had fully, I I'm mm -hmm. crashing. Like I felt the car starting to slide. Like I'm <laughs> I'm crashing, and uh, made it through that though. But man, you would see people in these big four by four trucks and and uh, SUVs, and they'd be like facing backwards and being the the median and, and you know five minutes before they were the dipshits like driving past you all fast and aggressively and it's crazy yeah man they get in those things and they think they're impervious to that stuff and uh but dude i, I remember the look on a couple drivers faces because it, they're just like in shock you know because they just like spun out and ended up in the freaking you know middle of the road or the median or whatever and uh yeah anyways man i know this isn't the uh the weather driving podcast but um, yeah, if you get one of those trucks and you don't know yet, don't act like it, it makes you impervious to that shit. No, 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 no. Uh, and it's funny. It's like, I, I told this story to someone the last night about how me and a friend of mine, uh, this was like after high school, a couple of years after we got out of high school and, uh, where we were living in, in North Houston, there was this uh, shopping center that was being, uh, still under construction, but there was a movie theater that we went to. And so when we got out, there was like this whole parking lot that was completely frozen over and they didn't have the little medians in, you know, where the parking spots are. So it was mm -hmm. just like, just nothing but pavement other than just the light poles completely frozen over. So I was in this like, you know, piece of crap Dodson at the time and, uh, decided to, we decided that we we're going to get in this thing and, uh, just 
pull the emergency brake and do donuts in the parking lot. <laughs> so, so you're just like, get up some speed, jerk the wheel to one side, pull the emergency brake and just sit there and do donuts. So it like literally taught us like how to drive on ice. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, I know. Yeah. There's an art to it, but uh, yeah. yeah. So anyways, on anyways, to, okay. uh, oh, yeah, yeah. so we are here to, yeah, no, two wheel, two wheel related things. Like, I thought this was a, a, a cycling podcast. What the hell? <laughs> Um, so yeah, we're gonna talk about two things, uh, or three things, actually, uh, two things that you would like to talk about, which is, uh, cardio and breathing. And if time allows, we're going to also kind of, uh, talk about how that relates to meditation as well. Yes. All right. So cardio, what do we need to know, James? What do we need to know about cardio? Well, besides the fact that everybody's cardio sucks, right? It's like, it's hilarious. I have this joke, like you get a bunch of riders together and you ask them, what do you want to improve? (laughs) <laughs> and, and at least 99% of them, you may have that one freak who won't say something about cardio or endurance <laughs> or something like that. Like it's, it's like near the top of almost every rider's list of things that they wish they could improve. And it's either like their overall cardio and endurance or maybe in specific situations like technical climbs or something like that. Yeah. But almost everyone listening to this has got some area that they wish, man, I wish I just which had a little bit better cardio, a little bit more gas in that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's a super popular subject for riders. You know, one of the most, you know, cardio training programs and stuff, especially we're getting ready to go in the off season. So there's a lot mm-hmm. of people who are starting to gear up for like, okay, what do I need to do to improve my cardio going into the off season? And so, um, and that's great. Right. But the thing is, is, you know, what is like, what do we really want is cardio? And, and it gets confusing because, uh, you know, I've mentioned before that athleticism is contextual, right? Mm-hmm. So what it takes to be athletic in one situation, you know, like running a hundred meters is not what it would be to like swim a thousand meters or, or you know, power lifting, you know, you see these guys like, you know, lifting right. like a thousand pounds and you're like, they only have to do that once. So they train yeah. their ass off just to do that once, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Whereas, so super, yeah. Yeah. They're super athletic in that context. Yeah. And so for us as riders, all right, so what is what is the context of cardio that we need? Because cardio is not just this like general thing, right? And so this is why if you if you think about it, um, triathletes, they 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 run, bike, and swim, and they run, bike, and swim in practice, right? Because there's not like a just a general cardio pool that they pull from. Right. And so like, just like, they know that my, my swimming is not going to necessarily carry over to my riding is not necessarily going to carry over to my running. I have to train all three of these things. And so, you know, it gets confusing too, as well, because a lot of times people will look at endurance athletes and they will say, Oh, they're doing a lot of this. And it's like, well, that's their sport. Right. Like the thing is, is like runners, for example, like they don't run to work on their cardio. They run because it's their sport. Right. And, and yeah. again, it's like a triathlete. It's they, they run, bike and swim. They have to practice their sport. And so as cyclists, we need to practice our sport. That needs to be the primary thing. So what this means is two things is one, if you are a cyclist, then you need to ride your bike. Like that's the best type of cardio training you can do, right? Like you can do, uh, you know, like kettlebell swings and CrossFit style workouts or, you know, things like that, that work on your quote unquote work capacity or whatever that is. And that may have some general carryover, but at the end of the day, you have to ride your bike. And, and even more specifically, 
you need to ride what you ride. And so for mountain bikers, it's a really interesting thing. Like they have to be the only athletes in the world that are told you need to practice another sport to get better at your sport because they're told they need to ride road bikes. That's, that's like one of the most popular ways of cardio training for mountain bikers in the off season is to get a road bike and start doing road riding. Or even gravel riding for that matter. You know. Yeah, yeah. So, but the problem is, is that riding a road bike on the road is a completely different context than riding yep. a mountain bike on dirt. Mm-hmm. And so you're building your cardio in a very non-contextual, non-specific way. And this is one of the reasons, one of the big complaints that riders have is they'll, you know, they'll spend all this time doing this like road riding based cardio training program. And then mm-hmm. they get on the trail and they don't really see the benefits. It's like, man, it, it takes me a little while to kind of get my legs under me. And so, you know, it's probably the same thing that like you're saying, like with gravel riding, like just, yep. you know, gravel riding is a different context than riding on the road. Yep. And so if you, you improve your fitness through riding a road bike on the road. It's not going to have this carryover. And so it can be as simple as just riding your bike on the road, right? If you, if you can't, if weather doesn't permit you to access like, you know, gravel ride or a mountain bike ride, then ride your bike on the road. Yep. That's still creating a more specific context than going out and buying and, and, and getting a whole nother bike. Now, if you like road biking and that's just one of the things you want to do, that's fine. But if you're doing it because you think that that's what you need to do in order to improve as a rider, you may be making a mistake there. There may be a, a better, more efficient way to go about it. So yeah, yeah, it, guess, yeah. yeah the, anything else, it's like you know, road riding. If you do enjoy that, I mean, there, there. I was thinking about this earlier the other day when I was doing road rides, and it was just simply there. Even for people that don't necessarily do road rides all the time, there is some benefit, at least in terms of understanding the fundamentals, you know, uh, maintaining a certain pedaling effort and that sort of thing. Uh, But yeah, you're right. Because if you go into something like mountain biking, you'd be better served staying on your damn mountain bike and going and, and finding a long ass trail that allows you just to maintain a consistent effort. And do that yeah. as a as a matter of your training, as opposed to just going and buying a road bike because somebody said, "Oh, you need to get on the road and ride." No. Yes. Yeah, and you see this, man. Like all the pro riders have their road bikes uh, that their sponsors yeah. send them, you know, uh, to ride, and that, it's it's a super common thing. And again, like the the idea is like, man, look at those road riders. You know, like the guys in the Tour de France, like they <laughs> they got great endurance, like they've got great cardio. Well, they got they, glutes, man. <laughs> well, they, you know, they ride, they ride their road bike a lot in the off season and they work on all these things and it's like, okay, yeah. well then that's what I need to do. But that's, you know, that's why I was saying that's where it's easy to get confused because the logic makes sense until you understand that, well, really I need to be paying attention to the context and the tour de France has a completely different context than mm-hmm. mountain biking. And I, I'm not going to draw too many lessons from what you do to get better at the tour de France to help you get better at mountain biking. Like, there's, you know, the, you need to look at, at activities and things that have a closer context to that. So, yep. but yeah, just, you know, and, and again, like the thing that people forget is that at the, at the heart of everything, it's not really the heart, it's the brain, right? At right. the center of everything is the brain. It's the, it's, you're training the brain. And so yep. there's a, a, uh, um, I, man, I, mean, I forget if I mentioned it before, but like the whole idea of like, you know, what did the dog see, right? Like there's a, there's a book called what the dog saw by Malcolm Gladwell. And it's basically a collection of articles that he, uh, yeah, yeah. That guy gets deep. (laughs) Deep, man, deep. 
but it's a, one of his earlier books and it's a collection of articles that he wrote um, for the New Yorker, whoever the hell he wrote for. Uh, but anyway, so. so, but what the dog saw was a expose on the dog whisperer. Remember that guy, Caesar Milan? Oh yeah. He's yeah. Like the, the, I mean, the, so, well, you know, whisperer. he was, yeah, well the thing was, <laughs> but if you ever watched his show, his whole thing was like, well, what does the dog see? Right. Yeah, and so yeah. in the article, he explained that he had this insight actually during marriage counseling that like, it doesn't matter what you think you're doing. It kind of matters what your spouse sees. So you may not think that you're, you know, acting a certain way, but if they're taking it that way, well, that needs to be addressed. You need to acknowledge it and address it. And he realized, well, that's the same thing with the dogs. You know, if I'm telling my dog to calm down, but I'm all like agitated and, and wired and energetic my dog is seeing that I'm wired and energetic, yeah. not that I'm calm. And so if I calm myself down, that'll calm the dog down. And, and so I the see that. Thing- yeah. And I see that in my son too. <laughs> my son's only like yeah. nearly seven years old and not to say that my son is a dog, but yeah, there is some, close, or, yeah it's Sometimes. like, if, if you're trying to tell, calm down, you know, and just like, because he's just mm-hmm. like manic, you all of a sudden elevating your energy level to his makes it worse. Yeah. You know? Yes. So the idea is like you always, you know, one on a personal level, like there's, that's what I love about training is you can take the lessons and apply them to so many different areas. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, like your, your brain is the dog. It doesn't <laughs> yeah. matter what you think you're doing. It only yep. matters what the dog sees and your brain is going to adapt to what you're doing. So if you mm-hmm. think you're doing this great cardio training program for your specific sport, that's great. But what does the dog see? Well, if you're a mountain biker and you're following a road riding program, well, the, the, the brain sees that I'm getting on this super light bike in this different position. And I'm, I'm riding at these constant efforts for yep. long periods of time on, yep. on, on paved roads. Well, I'm going to get better at that. Like that's what the dog sees. And yep. so, you know, anyway, so like, that's why it's important in all aspects of training is to, is to look at it from your brain's point of view. It doesn't matter what you think you're doing is like, well, what's happening here? What is my brain seeing? Is that what I really wanted to see? Like one of my things that I would, uh, when, you know, I, I got kind of well known for, uh, when training downhill riders was encouraging standing pedaling. Like if you're a downhill racer, your butt shouldn't even know a seat exists. Yeah. That's why they were right? right <laughs> well no but you shouldn't be sitting down like right. you should you the best downhill racers don't sit like they no. are able to stand and and the whole time either whether they're well, pedaling or posting or whatever <clears throat> but they're and not it makes sitting. sense and it makes sense too because i mean you, you know you're going downhill you have to be like fluid when you're yeah well your right? seat is your seat's a curse yeah, Man, and, and you can't be fluid just hip. sitting down. It's just yeah. Sorry, it's just not right. Possible. So, but my, the point is, is if you're a downhill racer, and during the time that you're racing, you're not sitting down, and then you're going out on these trail rides where you're spending the vast majority of your time sitting down, and you're calling that cardio training. Yeah. What does the dog see? Right. What are you really training your body to get better at doing? Uh, better at doing uh, a consistent effort. That's it. That's that. It's for the, sitting on the seat and spinning. Yeah. And, and not only and it, that, but also road riding is all about just consistent effort. That's it. You know, uphill, downhill, yeah. whatever. It's just I'm pedaling, 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 pedaling in a very highly consistent manner. Yeah, That's so more what you train for. Energy yeah, the, expenditure you can now, create, the better. Yeah, exactly. And then you get into the context of, say, a gravel riding. All right, well, now that changes. Yes, it's still consistent. You know, certainly more consistent than, say, uh, mountain biking. But now you got a, this upper body thing that you have to deal with, you know. Uh, 
and then you get into mountain biking it's like that consistency all of a sudden is 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 variable right oh there's no consistency more, yeah there is no consistency I mean, so unless you live body, in like the northwest or something i yeah. mean or so, I mean, the I mean, midwest so you're constantly changing the amount level of effort that you're having to deal with yes that's the that's the the main difference i think that's at least as oh yeah i'm huge. not even a mountain biker but even i know that. yeah Yes. No, again, yeah. If you're if you're consistent efforts versus the hard net, that, that's one of the things that makes mountain biking so difficult is that the trail demands certain efforts yeah. from you. It doesn't ask it. It demands it. You have to put out the certain amount of effort to get up this hill. You yep. have to put out the certain amount of effort to get through this section. And so, so yeah. you either do it or you either have it or you don't. And, yeah. and it, so you, there, you can't, whereas like road riding, the idea is you're trying to avoid those things on some level, like it's more consistent. And so you can control that effort level to a higher degree. There's still times when you can't, right? And you, you have to yep. train that. But like you said, if you look at it on a spectrum and road riding is on one side and, you know, like mountain biking is on the other, you know, gravel riding is, is somewhere in the middle. And yep. yeah, like that, that counts. Like, what are we trying to do? What are we trying to get better at? And so well, looking at your yeah. sport, and figuring out the context of your sport and then using that as a template for trying to figure out what kind of cardio training program will be a, a good idea for you. Yeah. And, and correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, and when, when I, when I think of cardio, this is what I usually think of. Uh, you tell me if I'm just like right on the money, I might actually be, I might actually yeah. be just completely talking out of my ass. Who knows? Um, but uh, aren't we all though on some level? Right. I know. Aren't we I'm just kind of like, well, I just kind of guess at it. And you know, and if somebody corrects me, if I'm wrong, cool. Um, that's how bullshit starts. Um, (laughs) so, um, so I think of cardio as this, it's like, you know, you have a passage of time. Okay. So I have like an hour, I'm writing for an hour. I'm writing for two hours, three hours. I'm writing all day. All right. Mm -hmm. So in that time, I'm putting in a certain level of effort and that level of effort is, is demanding of a couple things, uh, is demanding oxygenation of the, of the blood. I got to have oxygen to my muscles in order to be able to power them. And then you got energy release. So it's like those two things, oxygen, energy. So glycogen, oxygen, that's what powers mm-hmm. your muscles, right? So to me, it's like cardio is really all about how do you train your body to do those things efficiently to where for the passage of time that you're doing, you're, you're uh, cycling, your body is capable of dealing with that. Yes. It's one thing to like, you know, drink and, and stay hydrated and, and to eat and stay, you know, with energy release. That's all fundamentals. But the cardio aspect, just, you know, your overall system, being able to properly oxygenate the blood and properly, uh, you know, power your muscles. That's cardio in a nutshell. It's like, how do you train the body to do that efficiently in it with a certain passage of time? Yeah. Yeah. No, there's, in, there are, uh, a couple good points you brought up there. One is the time period. That's another thing that's important to, to keep in mind. Like yep. I actually prefer the term um, pacing development strategy or energy systems development to cardio training. Right. Cause cardio training is just this generic catch all term and it, and it, it doesn't really mean anything. And so what are we trying to do? Well, you know, you pacing development strategy that, that kind of touches on the time, right? Well, how mm-hmm. far do I have to go and how fast do I have to do it? Well, there's a certain pace associated with that. And so I'm trying to develop that pace. And so, uh, and then also the energy systems development touches on the other thing that you mentioned, which is your energy systems, which you've got your, uh, you know, your, your um, aerobic and anaerobic energy systems, you know, there's subsystems and stuff within that, but that's basically your two big uh, systems. And so it, those are your energy systems. And so you're trying to 
train your body to create energy, a, a specific amount of energy over a specific amount of time in a specific kind of way. Mm-hmm. That, that's what you're trying to do. It, it does. It boils down to energy. How well can you create and maintain your energy so that you can sustain the pace that you want for the period of time that you're looking for? That's yep. exactly it. Like that is yep. at its core what you should be trying to look at yeah. um, with that. And, and like you said, it is important to look at, okay, what, you know, as far as like the, the energy systems goes, like oxygen is a huge part of it, right? So right. you've got to be able to take oxygen in, right? And so one of the reasons yep. that VO2 max is considered a predictor of athletic performance is the more oxygen you can take in, the more oxygen your body has available to use. But it's not a, a one-to-one predictor because there's more to it, right? It's not just how much oxygen can I take in. It's also how efficiently can I utilize that oxygen? And so that's where a lot of people get lost when it comes to cardio training because they don't really think of that side of the equation. They're really focused on VO2 max and trying to take in as much oxygen as possible. Right. But one of the interesting things is, is that in order to use that oxygen efficiently, you have to be able to tolerate higher levels of CO2, carbon dioxide. And it's, uh, again, I I took this uh, um, certification recently called the Oxygen Advantage. Uh, There's Mm -hmm. a book out by the same name where he explains a lot of the same stuff. But CO2 is an interesting, uh, interesting gas in that, you know, it's not a waste gas like we're, you know, we kind of initially were told, right? Like, I I laugh, but there's there's three things. When I was a kid, we knew that fat was bad for you. Lactic acid was uh, horrible for your muscles and caused fatigue. And that carbon dioxide was a poison that we just needed to get rid of. And oxygen was the end all be all of, of cardio. <laughs> and we now know that fat is actually healthy for us, the right kinds and the right amounts. Yep. We know that lactic acid doesn't cause, uh, you know, the burn fatigue and that your body is actually able to utilize it uh, to create more energy. And now we know that CO2 um, plays a lot of important roles in your cardio fitness. And so one of the one of the most important ones is that you're the you're you breathe in right so you take a breath in and then your red blood cells take on the oxygen they get oxygenated right the hemoglobin gets the oxygen and then it goes to the working muscles that need the oxygen and then it needs to offload the oxygen and what's interesting is your body needs CO2 to do that if you don't have enough CO2 present you can have all the oxygenated blood you want, but you're not able to offload enough of it and quickly enough for your working muscles to actually utilize it and keep up. And so then you're going to end up going anaerobic even quicker, which is a less efficient uh, way of creating energy. Then you got to repay the oxygen debt. So a lot of endurance comes down to how hard and how much can you power your efforts aerobically? And again, you need to be efficient anaerobically, right? That's where the high intensity interval stuff and, and whatever comes in, which is overplayed. And I actually have a better way of, of working on some of those things, which I'll touch on here in a second. Right. But, you know, really your ability to work hard and main and, and stay aerobic is at the key to your overall endurance. Yep. And so that CO2 becomes super important for you to do that. And so developing better CO2 tolerance becomes an important part of your cardio training strategy too. Like, one of the things, and I'll ask you, and you know, tell me if you agree, but running out of gas and getting breathless are two different things. These are not the same thing. Would yes, you agree? They are. Absolutely, because I've had I actually bonked on a number of rides. Um, yes, and it wasn't because I was out of breath. It had nothing right. to do with that. It was basically because I had just like completely depleted my glycogen. Gas. That's different. Yeah. Yep. 
It's waiting out of breath. As soon as you catch your breath, you're able to still go. Yeah, that's basically uh, your your blood. Uh, your lungs cannot pump enough oxygen into your bloodstream to do what it is that you're trying to do. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, that, that breathless feeling is actually triggered by uh, rising levels of CO2. Yeah. And it's not, it's not dropping levels of oxygen. It's the CO2 rising that triggers that yeah, breathless it's feeling. That, it's just that whole system on how, you know. Right, right, right. No, I'm just, I'm just telling, I'm just, I'm just yeah. mentioning, because a lot of people don't realize that, right? Well, like, true. they don't realize yeah. the role that, that CO2 plays in, um, in all of this stuff. Right. And so they think like, oh, I'm getting breathless because I don't have enough oxygen. And it's like, well, no, it's because you got too much CO2 and it's, you're not able to tolerate it, right? So can you take in more oxygen or can you actually raise your CO2 tolerance? Like, can you, can you have higher levels of CO2 and not trigger that breathless feeling? Like, that's right. another strategy. That's another way to address the problem of breathlessness. But the point is, is that most of the time when we're working on cardio, what people think of is the gas tank. They're thinking about running out of gas. I don't want to run out of gas. Right. But the other side, like we talked about, well, there's that, that breathless, like you get to the top of a hard climb and, and you get there. And like you said, the feeling like your brain is screaming, you're like, I can't breathe. <laughs> I can't get enough oxygen. You just feel like you can't get enough air. It's yep. a little bit of a panicky feeling if you push it too far, but that's a totally different thing than running out of gas. Yep. which means that we have to address it and train it with our cardio training program. If we're just working on the, 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 the gas side of it, not wanting to run out of gas, but we're not working on that breathless side, which comes down to CO2 tolerance, then we have a hole in our, our cardio training program. And so yeah. I think that the big mistake that riders have made uh, for a long time is not addressing that CO2 tolerance side of things, which right. is, I believe, going to be the future of cardio training not just for cycling but in general and so um but anyways yeah that's and kind I, of uh and i would and i would assume that uh you know it really kind of goes on on one of two different levels as far as that's concerned is you know to your point you have the the, the full power all out situation that's usually like you know if you're going up a big hill uh you know sprinting <clears throat> that kind of thing uh where you're you know really just putting those really you know fast twitch muscles to, to work um how your oxygen depletion and your cardio levels are affected is different than say your more lower, you know, heart rate endurance style stuff, where it's more like a steady state type thing. Um, you're not peeking into anaerobic. You're just staying in that aerobic heart rate zone as it were, but you can only go so far on in that zone before you finally, to your point, your body's just like, no mas, I can't do this anymore. Um, yeah. You just run out of gas. Yeah. Or, or not just run out of gas, but also, uh, even on that that sort of uh, that to to your point, like you know the the uh, cardio carbon dioxide depletion, you know the point where your just mm -hmm. muscles just kind of go, I know, <laughs> you know, you, and then you yeah. trip out of breath, and you're just like, I, no, I'm I'm done. You know, yeah, you can only maintain a certain amount of power before <clears throat> that happens, and that's right. Yeah, training, right is is your tolerance to that, and being able to maintain it at, at higher levels of power. Right. Yeah. And it, it's, it's all part of a, of a big picture. Like what causes fatigue, right? Like, again, when we were kids, we were told lactic acid causes it, right? Lactic acid causes the burn. Or and you got to get the lactic acid, acid out of your muscles because the lactic acid causes muscle soreness and it's lactic acid, buddy. Lactic acid. That's what causes fatigue. And what, what was the, what was the uh, uh, supplements that they said? Okay. You got to get this after working. Oh, sports legs. Sports legs. Sports legs. Yeah. That, that was the one I remember, man. Those dudes were, and they may still be around for all I know, but what, what yeah. cracked me up is 
they were, they started, and these were, you know, the, the idea was that you would take this supplement and it would stop the formation of lactic acid because, you know, lactic acid is what caused fatigue and the burn. Which is total and then, bullshit. <laughs> and then the science changed, right? And then, then we started to find out well, that's not actually true. And what's happening is it's the hydrogen ions that are creating the burn and that there's, there's, there's more to, there's, there's a whole big picture that causes fatigue. And yep. so, uh, but they stuck to their guns until they could figure out how to change their marketing to fit the <laughs> yeah. new science, but they managed to do it and then they changed. So anyways, but my, my point is, is that, 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 you know, you, so like when you go anaerobic, mm-hmm. right, one of the things that happens is you're not able to create energy through just oxygen and the mitochondria. And so you start to use uh, glucose and glycogen right. and, and, and that creates, uh, you know, lactic acid. And, you know, just, and so that starts this, this accumulation effect, right? And it's, right. can your body buffer the lactic acid and the hydrogen ions, right? To buffer that, that burning sensation and yep. can it shuttle the lactic acid to the kidneys, <clears throat> excuse me, to reconvert it back into glucose? Like how quickly and, and efficiently can it do that? So that is one side of the fatigue equation. But again, the other side is what's happening with the blood gases yep. as oxygen levels drop and CO2 levels rise that's what triggers that, that breathless feeling. So we've got, you know, the burn and just kind of muscle fatigue and I can't move anymore at this pace. And then we've got the, the little screaming voice in the back of your head going, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Right. And that, that's a different, um, different thing. And so you have to train that specifically. And so again, one of, one of the reasons that people do intervals, is because it creates that lactic acid, it creates those hydrogen ions, it creates that metabolic environment that allows your body the chance to try to uh, learn how to deal with it better. Right. And so, you know, you also are able to trigger some of that breathless feeling because we've all done intervals and gotten done and had that feeling. Yep. Right. But that that's a, it's a small part and it's not like the focus of that. We're not specifically trying to create a higher CO2 level to train our CO2 tolerance. And so there are specific ways that you can do that as well. And so, um, so again, like that's what, uh, you know, uh, like I was mentioned in, in, you know, uh, give you guys a couple examples of, of ways you can do that. But <clears throat> excuse me again, the, the idea is that we were, we're looking at what, what do we need in order to improve all aspects of cardio and your CO2 tolerance is a huge part of it. You know, you'll be able to work harder without triggering that panicky, breathless feeling. Right. You'll be able to uh, better get oxygenation, oxygenation to the muscles. So they'll be able to work harder, longer. So there's a lot of benefits that come to that. But again, you got to train that specifically, um, which is something, again, has not been traditionally done with, uh, with regular cardio training programs. So, um, but yeah, man, that's uh, kind of the, the, in my mind, when I think about cardio training, right. you know, all that is what goes into it. And then the CO2 tolerance stuff is what I think is going to be the, the cool, uh, the, the future of, of the cardio training. So. Awesome. Now, how does that play into, uh, some of the breathing aspects? I'm going to, I'm going to assume that probably part of that is going to tie into, uh, breathing, you know, just breathing exercises as well. Right. Yeah, your your breathing is going to. I mean, breathing in general. When you're talking about breathing for for, uh, um, I mean, any type of performance, really. Again, this is one of those things that I think we give lip service to, but it doesn't really get the attention that it should. Which is that you know one of the studies that uh, they they looked at in that course that I took 
um, the conclusion that they came to is that until you normalize breathing, you can't normalize any movement pattern. And it makes sense, right? Like your body's always going to prioritize breathing. Like that is the most important second to second moment to moment objective of your brain and body is to keep oxygen coming in and the CO2 and the waste, you know, the leftover stuff going out. If that Mm -hmm. stops, it's not long until everything else stops. And so if you're breathing inefficiently, right, if you're using muscles or, you know, breathing in a way that's not, um, you know, basically we have breathing muscles. We've got the diaphragm and we've got the, uh, the, the intercostals. Like those are the muscles that are responsible for driving our breathing. And yep. so if you're doing like chest breathing or you're, you know, doing, you know, you're, you're using the wrong muscles to breathe or then no matter what you do, your body is going to always have some sort of dysfunction, some sort of inefficient movement. And so if you want to maximize your cardio, like the first thing you got to do is figure out how to maximize my breathing. Because I, I like, I always tell people like, if you don't breathe well, what are you training? Your shitty breathing. Yep. yep. Like that's what you're training. And yeah. so you, you got to make sure that you're breathing well in order to maximize your cardio in general, but then also understanding how your breathing will affect these other things as well. So, you know, one, the, you know, breathing correctly, uh, I guess good breathing has three dimensions and this is uh, another thing that, that they covered in that course. You have, um, biomechanical, which is what we've been talking about, which is what muscles are you using to breathe? Yep. You know? Uh, the other one is biochemical. What is the blood gas? What's happening with the blood gases? What's happening with oxygen? What's happening with CO2? You know? And then the last one is what is the stress response to the breathing? And so big if you think one. about, yeah, you know, yeah. So we've got like, you know, uh, the, the autonomic nervous system, you know, you've got your sympathetic mm-hmm. and parasympathetic. An easy way to think about it is you've got your fight or flight response on one end and you've got your rest and relax response on the other end. And it's like a teeter totter, right? It's, it's, it's almost never perfectly balanced. It's kind of tilted one way or the other, and it can get pretty extreme one way or the other. And your breathing has a, a direct impact on which way that teeter totter is, is starting to tilt. Yep. Yeah. Cause you figure like this is like, you know, if you're uh, whether you're on the bike or you, whether you're in exercises and you, and you hear people talk about this all the time, but how, you know, loosen up, relax, you know, because if you tense up, you know, what's going to happen? Yes. Uh, you're wasting energy at that point because one, your breath is going to be shallower. You're not going to get the proper oxygenation. And at the same time, because you're tense, you're using up wasted energy on your muscles. Whereas if you're just relaxing and just like, you know, they always say, take a deep breath. Yeah. <sighs> it's like, man, I mean, that makes all the difference in the world, you know, in terms yeah. of stress release. Yeah, no, totally. If you're, if you're breathing with your chest, like chest breathing is probably one of the most common things and a real easy test for people to tell, like just kind of in the ballpark of where's my breathing. I I look at three things, right? Look at uh, breaths per minute, just set a timer for a minute, count how many breaths you take. The vast majority of people out there take 10 plus breaths per minute, which is over breathing. You should be in the like six to eight range uh, with breaths per minute, preferably six or less. Like if you have good, efficient breathing and good CO2 tolerance, one of the reasons that we over breathe is because we have poor CO2 tolerance. And so you're over breathing, trying to blow out the CO2 because your tolerance is poor. And so lower breathing rates indicate a higher, uh, a higher tolerance for that CO2. 
Um, the other thing that I look at is the bolt score It's called the, the body oxygen level test or, or something. I forget what the T stands for. Um, but you, uh, at rest, take a normal breath in, normal breath out, pinch and hold your nose and see. So you're, you're, you're holding on the exhale and then you time and you see how long does it take until I start to get that, that I need to breathe feeling. And so you're not looking for a max breath hold, right? So if you get done and you're like having to take a big breath, that was too much, right? You should be able to just go to normal nose breathing after you're done with it. But anything under like 25, 30 seconds indicates poor CO2 tolerance. If you're an athlete and you're trying to perform well, you should be at 40 seconds or higher. The vast majority of people out there are 20 seconds or less. Like their CO2 tolerance is really, really poor. And so uh, the other thing you can do, uh, maximum breathlessness test, which is a max breath hold. And so this time you do the normal breath in, normal breath out, and then you start walking. You can either march in place or just start walking around and you see how many paces can I go before I have to breathe, right? And you're, and you're trying to push it. You're trying to see how far can I take it. And again, the anything under 60 paces it indicates poor CO2 tolerance, there, there's room for improvement in that area. So you're looking for like 60 to 80 paces with that. And then finally, you can check, you know, how you breathe. What are the biomechanics of this? And so probably the, the simplest way uh, is, is hand on the belly, like just yep. above the belly button, then other hand on the chest. And then you want to observe your breathing. And you should feel that when you breathe in, the hand on your belly pushes out. And when you breathe out, that, you know, gently collapses back in. And you shouldn't feel movement with your hand. It, 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 you definitely yep. shouldn't see your move your hand moving up and down. Like if your hand moves up and down, that's vertical breathing. And that's yep. a bad dysfunctional breathing habit. So, you know, those are just some, some like real simple things that people can check to see like, well, where is my breathing? You know, and, and so, uh, but yeah, that vertical breathing is, is real common. And that's, that's a problem. That's chest breathing. Yep. And the only reason that your body was usually would use chest breathing in the past is under high intensity panic situations. Like that is like, I am running from a bear and I'm just like, (laughs) (laughs) like that's, and so it, it, and when you do that, it triggers the stress response because it thinks that you're in a stress situation. Why else would you be breathing this way? Yeah. And so one of the guys that I, I, I talked to, he described like chest breathing is like being chased by the world's slowest bear all day long. <laughs> right. And so, you know, but anyways, if you take that on your bike and your chest breathing, you're ramping it up even more. And yep. so there's a lot of people out there who are really fit, quote unquote fit. They're able to perform at high levels, but they have dysfunctional breathing and they have poor CO2 tolerance, which means that they're compromising things, man. They're, they're, it's like trying to, you know, drive with your parking brake on. You can do it. You just got to hit the gas harder and you're causing damage to the car. So fixing your breathing is one of the, the those yeah. things easy for everyone to do and it'll impact it. But don't think just because, oh, I got a KOM on Strava, you know, my cardio is obviously fine. Like, you know, I thought the same thing until I started going down this rabbit hole. And I'm like, dude, my, my bolt score is 17 and yep. I can't even go 30 paces. And, you know, there were <laughs> issues. And so, but anyway, so yeah, but that's uh, some things that people can do to check. But you do need to think about how you're breathing um, before you start worrying about how much you're breathing. Yeah, because when I started uh, Tai Chi and Qigong, mm. uh, that was one of the first things that, um, that that my teacher taught us 
breathing, yeah. you know, and the, exactly what you were saying, you no know, hand on the chest, hand on the belly and doing, you know, abdom, abdominal breathing as opposed to chest breathing. And, mm-hmm. you know, the only reason you should be doing chest breaths is to your point. Yeah. If you take a nice, big, deep centering breath, that's one thing, you know, if yeah. even a little ride, just, <sighs> okay, that's, that's one thing, but just normal breathing as opposed, you know, for just whatever effort you're taking or whatever it is you're doing, even, you know, as we'll probably talk about later, like in the meditation, uh, yeah, it's all in the belly and, and training that it becomes an automatic response. It's something that you have to create a habit for. And you're not going yeah. to bring that kind of awareness to it and actually doing breathing exercises that, you know, that's what it's all about. And yeah. yeah. Yep. No. Yeah. Training your breathing is, is in, in that it's really like the, um, the diaphragm again, like that's, so yep. when you feel the belly pushing out, it's not that you're using your belly. And I will say, I've actually seen people misunderstand this and yes. somehow figure out how to use their abdominals to breathe. It's like, no, that that's not what we want. I don't want you no. like using your abs to breathe. What it is, is the, the diaphragm, which is a, it's a dome shaped muscle on the bottom of your lungs. Right. And so as you breathe in, it flattens out and it's yep. flattening out, pushes all the stuff in your belly, all the, the down. And so that's what creates the expansion, the pressure that pushes the belly out. Yep. And then when it, you breathe out, it, it goes back into the dome shape, the pressure is relieved and then it goes back in. And so it's the diaphragm that you're really trying to tap into and learn how to use. And so belly breathing is a term that people use because if you're breathing with your diaphragm, your belly will move. But if you focus on breathing with your belly, you can figure out some ways to breathe that don't actually involve your diaphragm. So one of the things I do to help <clears throat> check that is like the next thing we call the, the soup pan. You take a, like a C grip with your hands and you just put them on the bottom of your, your floating ribs, right? So right at the very bottom, right. you don't want them on the, the, just the flesh on your, your sides, you want them right on those bottom ribs. And now when you breathe in, you should feel that pressure push your hands out, yeah, out to the side. And when you breathe in, the pressure should come back in. And so that's a really good way because really if you think about that, that dome, that diaphragm pushing down should be pushing everything out in 360 degrees. Like you should feel your lower back expand, you should feel your sides expand, and you should feel your belly expand. And so making sure that you've got all 360 degrees going is kind of that next step for people to make sure that they're not over-focusing on the belly and that they're, uh, they're getting that diaphragm, um, doing its work. But yeah, it's funny you mentioned Tai Chi, man. I, uh, I, yeah. I did a semester of Tai Chi in my one year of, of college and it was, uh, I didn't mean to do it. It was, I waited to the last second to sign up for electives and it was one of the last ones left. And, uh, I did it and I was like, oh, joking, like, oh, I'll get to meditate at like 8.30 in the morning. So I'll just fall asleep and we'll call it class. But man, it was good. It really, you know, uh, introduced me to some interesting ways of thinking that have definitely influenced my path uh, to a large degree up to this point. Yeah, but um, yeah, yeah, man, Tai Chi is really good. It's uh, a super yeah. interesting practice. Yeah, and Qigong also is a practice that, that, that uh, complements it really well. Um, so, and, you know, and I would say recommend if, you know, if you want to do like breathing exercises or just something, I mean, Tai Chi and Qigong is certainly one path. Uh, mm-hmm. I know some people are really into yoga, which is kind of like a Indian version of Tai Chi, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. except you're not moving as much. <laughs> it's more like, I'm going to strike a pose and I'm going to hold it for a while and do breathing while I'm doing it. You know, that sort of thing. Sounds like, sounds like isometrics. 
Sort of. Yeah. No, it's isometrics. If you look at like original yoga, it was yeah. isometrics. They they had a small handful of poses that they would hold for long periods yep. of time. That that's isometric training. Yeah. Whereas so like that, Tai Chi and Qigong are more like it's poses, but it's more like movement. You know, yeah. Steady, slow, deliberate. Modern movement. yoga, what we think of as yoga is yoga from India. Uh, filtered into germany where it was fused with pilates yeah i was about to say Same that guy yeah very similar influences the german physical culture influenced both of those things that's why you see some similarities in some forms of yoga and pilates and things like that but what most people think of as yoga what most people are practicing today is not yoga it, it, it's it's an Amer it's a westernized version of it Mm -hmm. But if you look at like yoga, it was isometric training and breath work. That's what yep. it was. Yep. And so, but anyways, I just, I find it interesting because that's kind of where my journeys come back to. Like, you know, when we talk about strength training, I'm a big fan of isometrics. Yep. And I'm a big fan of breath work. I think that the ancients uh, had some things figured out that uh, we have forgotten and are going to relearn, but our obsession with movement, um, it's it's not good on a cultural level, on a physical level, on a mental level. So being able to just be still uh, yep. has, has advantages in a lot of different areas. But um, yeah, yeah. Speaking, but of yeah, which, man, no, yeah. The 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 breath work, but like you're saying, there's different there's different avenues to yes. to explore um, in order to to find what works. But I've been doing the Wim Hof method for the last <laughs> like six seven months. Are you familiar with that one? No. Yo, you haven't heard of Wim Hof? It, it kind of rings a bell when I'm like, okay, Wim Hof. Yeah, the Iceman, the dude who does like all the cold challenge stuff. He's a dude, he's <laughs> a character. You need to check him out. And it, like, he's he's worth he's worth a Google for well, sure. Send us some links, yeah, so we can actually yeah. post it up in the show. They notes. did a documentary on Vice. Did a documentary on him a while back. Uh, there was a book that came Wim out Hoff. called uh, um, "Whatever Doesn't Kill You," and it was. Um, Anyways, Wim is, he's a super interesting guy, but he has, God, man, I don't even know how to describe it in a, in a, in a nutshell, but he has un, like figured out a way to bring ancient breathing techniques to the modern world. And so mm -hmm. like the, the one that he's probably best well-known for is the, the Tumo breathing which is the fire breathing. Like you hear about like the monks and the, you know, the Himalayas are able to like, you know, sit in caves of ice and then have wet cloth put on their back and just do their breathing generate enough body heat to dry the cloth. So it like that, that is, um, he is, his breathing is very similar to that. So what you're doing is it's, it's 30 to 40 breaths, big, deep breaths in, and then you just let go. <sighs> So it is like a form of hyperventilation, but what you're doing mm -hmm. is you're blowing off a shit ton of CO2. Your right. CO2 levels are dropping, dropping, dropping. And it's something similar to what free divers will do. Free divers mm -hmm. will do something very similar, blow off a lot of CO2. Because right. remember the CO2 is what triggers the, the need to breathe. Okay. So right. if you lower your levels before you hold your breath, guess what you'll be able to do? Be able to hold your breath longer. So that's why free divers do it, but that's why you, you, you run the risk of blackout because your oxygen levels may drop low enough for you to black out before the CO2 rises high enough to tell you to breathe. So you know, when you hear about these, you know, uh, shallow water blackouts and stuff with people practicing their breath work, like that's what's happening. Oh. And so the Wim Hof method 
you, you do 30 to 40 breaths like that. You're blowing out a lot of CO2 and then you hold on the exhale after the last breath. And then because your CO2 levels are so low, you're able to hold your breath for a crazy amount of time. Like, I mean, I've, I've had three plus minute breath holds and, uh, and man, during that time, man, there's a lot going on. Like your adrenaline's surging. It's, <laughs> it is a stress response for your body. And so you're almost like, you know, if you're stressed a little bit this way, it's ticking the needle this way. So your body super compensates and comes back to the other way. And so you're putting your body into this stressful state, but you know, and then when you're done, you take a big inhale and hold for 15 to 20 seconds. And then you repeat that. Like, you know, you end up doing like three or four rounds total. Right. And uh, man, it's interesting. Like for me, it's been, they did a study on whim and in in a group and, you know, famously they ejected him with a, uh, what the hell was it? It was something that mimicked like the flu virus. And so if you would get sick with it, and so he was able to uh, modulate his immune system. He was able to keep from getting sick from being injected with this stuff. And so then he trained a group and they went back and studied this to show like, hey, this isn't just me. Like I can train anyone how to do this. So mm-hmm. he, he showed scientifically that he was able to influence his immune system, which is yeah. something that we have been told you can't influence. Like this is your autonomic nervous system. You can't influence these uh, you know, these things. And so, um, for me, since starting to do the Wim Hof method, like I've been, my inflammation has gone way down. Like I am so less sore. I would, uh, I would suspect, I would suspect that part of it is, is breathing. Yes. You know, uh, that's, that's one part of it, but the other part of and this is something we're going to get into is, uh, there's, there's a mental aspect to it. There's a physiological connection between your mind and body that, uh, it's like a form of meditation to what you're doing. And that, yeah, scientifically, that's been shown that that can have a a, a direct impact on your autoimmune system. I mean, I I have Crohn's disease. So, I mean, I I know very well the impact that this can have. um, Yeah. Proper breathing and and meditational aspects as well. How the combination of that, that mind-body connection, training that, uh, can actually have a direct impact on your autoimmune system. Big time. Yes. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, it, it goes to that, that, uh, HRV heart rate variability. That's where yes. all the science is with this stuff. And, and just real quick, if you know, if you're not familiar, HRV, uh, heart rate variability, like when you're looking at it, like a cardiogram yeah. and the little high lines, that, that's yeah. the, the distance between those lines, it should be random, right? So you don't want, like when people say my, my, you have a, a heartbeat of 60 beats per minute, it's not beating like a metronome one beat per no. second. It averages out to 60 over that, but it's, it's different. And so the, the, the greater that variability is in the time, the more your body is tilted towards the rest and relax side of things. And the, the steadier that is, the more it's tilted toward the stress response or the fight or flight side of things. And so you can use HRV to measure uh, where you're at with that. And so yep. that's where the science behind breathing is, is with, you know, how does breathing in this stuff affect your HRV? And then how does HRV affect these other things? And, and improving your HRV will lower inflammation, improve your immune system. So a lot of different benefits. But again, if somebody's listening to this and they're like, oh, this sounds great, guys, but where's the science? HRV is where the yep. science is. Again, this is the future. This is not 
you know, uh, you know, just, just conjecture anymore. The, this idea oh. of breathing and how you breathe influencing these yeah. things on a deep level is now scientific. Yeah. And you were mentioning like HRV and it's ironic that, I mean, that's something that even I use. It's not like an end all be all metric, but it's certainly a, a an interesting number to look at uh, because no, it I, mean, is. I have good. Uh, I use on uh, my Apple watch. I have a, the heart watch app and, and it's one of those metrics that, that uh, there's a number of even fitness related apps that are starting to use HRV as a, as yeah. a guided metric, as it were of, if you start to notice that your HRV is like really low, it's kind of like, Oh shit. Okay. Maybe I need to take it a little bit easier, <laughs> you know, today yes. um, and give yeah. myself, it's an, it's an opportunity to kind of say, okay, I need to recover more. And your HRV yes. naturally goes up and down in these, these little slopes, depending on how much uh, effort, you know, you're putting out, how much you're stressing your body out. But to your point, uh, one of the things you can do to improve your HRV is proper breathing and maybe meditational techniques and stuff to help. Yeah. And I've seen that myself. I've seen it where my HRV responds and reacts and I recover quicker because of it. Yes. That's huge. Yeah, no. Yeah, HRV is huge, man. I've been using HRV for God damn, how long has it been now, man? Like Sounds five like plus years. You made your HRV. I got my HRV. <laughs> yeah, I got, I got. Uh, man, I remember. Anyways, yeah, this is just how much of a geek I am, man. Like I remember, like them talking about <laughs> uh, HRV is this mythical thing back when the only way you could check it was uh, with the Omega Wave machine, which was like a ten, fifteen thousand dollar device, and there was only like two or three of them in the entire country. Yep. It was originally developed by the Soviets for monitoring stress on their cosmonauts. Yep. And so, uh, but eventually the technology got to the point, there's a guy named uh, Joel Jameson, mm-hmm. who, uh, um, you know, really smart dude, man. He's been doing HRV training with athletes longer than anyone that I know. And so he, his original system was BioForce and his current one is Morpheus. Uh, but that's what I use. And I've been using it for a, for a long time. And like you said, it's not the end all be all, but it is a valuable tool to look at trends and be able to see like, oh, you know, where am I trending and do I need to make some, some, you know, changes or whatever. But uh, yeah, to your point though, the, the, the higher your HRV is as an average, usually that's an indicator of better cardiovascular fitness. Yes. Yeah. And you can, it's weird. You can like line it up, you know, like uh, when I get down into the, uh, uh, you know, below a hundred. It's mm-hmm. like, I, I just, it, you can feel it. It's like, you know, even without even looking at it, I just kind of know, oh, damn, man. I'm like, if you feel beat down and you're like, you know, your body's a little sore, your legs are sore, yeah. you work out the night, day before, and you just feel like, oh, shit, you just feel like really beat down. A nine to one uh, no chance that you're going to look at your HRV and know that it's below 100. Yeah. Guaranteed. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, it, it's, and, it's, and it lines up with that. It's where you can, you can just kind of feel, oh, shit, okay, I need to do a little bit more like recovery stuff. Yeah. Maybe even do some meditations and, you know, uh, or go and do, go off and do some Tai Chi or some yoga or something like that. Just kind of give your body a chance to recover, you know? Yeah. That's like really important too. Yeah, no, that's, uh, and, and that's really probably what it's, is most important thing is it allows you to make slight changes on a day-to-day basis that add up over time. Yeah. So, so I mean, like said, uh, so you have your good cardio workouts and then you are proper, you know, with good breathing techniques and then. We've been talking, you know, like, you know, some of these other things you can do to help develop those breathing techniques. Um, but then there's also meditation. You know, it's a, yeah. a, a thing in and of itself. Um, so uh, let's talk about that for a minute. Sure. Um, so I started just recently uh, some transcendental meditation stuff. And, it's, and we'll get into that here in a second. But 
uh, one of the articles that I, I read when I started studying it, sort of looking into it, I'd already been practicing uh, mostly mindfulness type meditation. And there's actually three forms, or I should say like three categories. So there was a, a writer online that I read an article on that said that, now I'll, I'll post it in the show notes. But basically there's, it, she broke it down into like three different categories of, of meditation. And you have control focus, open monitoring and automatic trans, self-transcending. That's like the basic three categories. So like control focus, that's usually like, you know, your Zen, your Buddhism, Qigong, yoga. Um, and that's more of a, a, a concentration focus type thing. It's like you're, you're focusing on uh, an object of some sort, like uh, your breath, an idea, an image, emotion, that sort of thing. Uh, then you get into like open monitoring, which is more your mindfulness practices, uh, you know, Vipassana and so forth. And that one is where you're paying your your attention is instead focused on the experience without judgment. So you're just like being uh, awareness of you and your environment, as it were. Then you got automatic tra self transcending, which is where your transcendental meditation comes from, and that one is more inward as opposed to outward. Um, and that's a category where uh, it's more mental activity where you're just simply uh, concentrating usually like on a mantra. So the focus is on that and you're just kind of letting the mind do its thing as it were. Um, so, and everybody, we, we said this even before we started the show that, you know, at, th those are your three basic categories and whatever works for you, <laughs> you know, uh, great. You know, it's not, there's not like one size fits all. Like you have to practice this particular one because this is the one that's like the best. There is no one best. It's what, works for you mm -hmm. um, in terms of like these practices. So, you know, it's like, I recommend, you know, try them all. The, the beauty part about it is, is that whether it's uh, traditional uh, control focus type, or if it's uh, mindfulness, those are the easiest. You can get into those by just, you know, picking up a book or watching a video on it. Uh, I did learn that transcendental meditation is one where it's, it's uh, recommended that you actually go get formal training. You, you know, take a four day course uh, I think it's like uh, transcendentalmeditation.org or something like that, or tm.org. Um, and that's what I did. And it paid off. I understand why they recommend that because it's there's, yeah. there's a little bit more to it in terms of just, you know, it's simple. It's elusively simple. But you really kind of have to have that person kind of guiding you and telling you what you need to do to prepare yourself for. Because it is a mm -hmm. way different experience, no doubt. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, man, that's, uh, um, yeah, like, you know, I mentioned before, I've been doing uh, different forms of meditation uh, for quite a while. And just as a, you know, martial artist of, of sorts, I mean, I've been doing jujitsu for the last eight years, but it's yep. always been my, at my heart, right? How I even approach like mountain bike training, like one of my favorite training books of all time is uh, the Book of Five Rings by Miyamoto Musashi, mm -hmm. which has nothing to do with sets and reps and cardio training. It is pretty much all about the mindset of being a warrior and, you know, what it takes to, to be successful with that. And, but those lessons apply just so beautifully to, uh, everything. Yep. And so, but yeah, that, that ability to, uh, to focus, um, you know, like you said, there are different things. Like you need to be able to focus, you need to be able to diffuse your focus. Mm -hmm. Right. So that, that idea of the mind, no mind, right. Like you're not trying to think of nothing because nothing is still something. Yep. Right. Like that's, that's the difficult thing. Is that's that's getting into, yeah, that's what they talk about in transcendental meditation where it's like, you're not thinking of nothing. You're not getting to it. Right. 
something where it's like no thought, no mantra, just nothingness. But it's like, no, that's that's consciousness. Yeah, that's what you're trying to get to is just that pure consciousness that's within you. Right. Yeah. It's that zone. Right. They talk about the zone. You know, yeah, I thought he's talking about the zone. And that's what it is. It's just their awareness is so like into their consciousness of what it is they're doing in that present time uh, that no thought, no nothing is just like automatic. It's just happening. And they're just like purely aware of it. Yeah. 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 No, but that, uh, but, you know, as, as far as, um, you know, being a, uh, from a warrior standpoint or, you know, martial arts standpoint, that like, that's super important because if you're thinking about something, you know, you're too late, you know, (laughs) and you have all of these different limbs, you know, arms and legs and everything. It's like, if I'm really focused on this one hand, you know, how am I going to be able to use the rest of my body effectively? And so that, that diffused focus becomes important. And that's super important. And again, I think for, for, uh, for riders, mm-hmm. um, you know, you know, I, I talk about a lot for mountain bikers because, you know, there is, uh, the threat of physical danger, right? Like we may not be out there swinging three foot long razor blades at each other, but whenever there is the legitimate threat of physical danger, yep. thinking will get you killed. Yeah. And so you've got to be able to, to, to handle those things and be able to, you know, reach that mindset if you want to be able to, uh, yeah, dance with the devil in the pale moonlight and, and come back to tell the story, <laughs> right? So, um, and then, yeah, I think the Wim Hof stuff kind of that falls into that, you know, that third category that you were mentioning, which is, uh, um, you know, there is something, yeah, the, the Wim Hof method is very similar. That's as far as, like, man, you, you, reach, you reach a spot where you're, you're not in a, I mean, w- you're in an altered consciousness for sure. Yeah. And, right. it, and it kind of incorporates all three. It's like, you know, there's a controlled focus aspect to it, right? Uh, so you're putting your attention on your breath. Uh, that's one. And then I've learned it even with uh, transcendental meditations, like uh, I have to start off with that controlled focus. I got to pay attention to my breath first. Yeah. Start there and then go into a, a, an open monitoring state. That's kind of like the next stage for me where now I'm just kind of aware of, of, of my body and, and its place in the environment. And then from there, then I get into that, you know, self-transcending state where it's like, okay, I'm starting the mantra. I'm just letting the mind do its own thing and just releasing the stressors. Yeah. That's really important. It's like, you can't just get on a bike and do your thing and have all this pent up stress. You got to have some kind of way to de-stress yourself to where when you do get on the bike, you're, you're fresh, you're ready to yeah. go, man. And then when you get off the bike, you go back and you do some more de-stressing, you know, that's kind of that cycle of things. Yeah. Um, and yeah. that's kind of what it's all about is, you know, and so you're, you're bringing uh, awareness of what it is you're doing, um, awareness of you and your environment, and then getting into that, that zone as it were. Yeah. Yeah, no, man, it's all, all, uh, all important stuff. And, and that's the, the cool thing with breathing is it's that, it's that bridge between the conscious and the subconscious because yeah. Usually breathing is subconscious. You don't have to think about it, yep. but you can consciously take control of it. It's pretty much I mean, really like one of the only things, you know, on that level. And so it is that bridge. And so yep. you, you manipulating your breathing, you know, can influence things on a deeper level than uh, you can with just trying to go at things physically. You know, like we were yeah. talking about, like, you know, all the physical stuff is great, but man, if your breathing is poor, and, yep. and you don't have some of these other, other things in place. Um, you know, that, you know, like we were mentioned earlier, like 
one of the interesting things of, of meditation is it is a form of CO2 tolerance training. Like I was, I was yeah. mentioning earlier, like one of the, the futures I think of, of cardio training in general is this CO2 tolerance. How do I develop a higher tolerance to CO2? And so when you're meditating and you're, you know, not all, but you know, cause some of them have you breathing deeper than others, but when you're just sitting there, you know, legs crossed and just, you know, monitoring your breathing, whatever relaxed, you usually enter a pretty shallow breathing state. Yes. Yes. And yeah. And so you're breathing less than you normally do. Like when you're meditating, mm -hmm. you're not breathing the same amount of air. And so that yep. automatically puts you into a higher CO2 state because you're not offloading as much CO2 uh, yep. from your breathing. And so meditation besides the, the mental and all the other things, it, it helps with that CO2 tolerance um, as well. And, but this is, like meditation, this mindfulness stuff, like I mentioned, man, our, our ancestors did this stuff. Yep. You know, we didn't always understand why, right? And that's one of the problems with science. Like I love science on some level, but on another level, like if they can't measure something and explain it, they just dismiss it. Yeah. They're, so they're measuring it now though. That's the beauty part. It's like, you know, right. Uh, but up until see, this point, uh, yeah, they, they didn't really care. They were like, Oh, it's bullshit. No, yeah. there's, there's something there. They studied it and they found that yes, there are certain, uh, frequencies of the brain that, uh, that change with yes. uh, certain forms of meditation. It's, it's fascinating stuff. Um, yeah. and especially what you were saying about like, you know, uh, about the, the shallow breathing. I noticed that especially with, with, uh, uh, transcendental meditation, especially because it's like, it's automatic. You're not even trying to pay attention to your breath. You're, you got a mantra in your brain and you're just letting the, that body, body mind thing just kind of happen automatically. And you enter that shallow state. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but uh, this is brought up by the teacher. And I was like, oh, yeah, that has happened. Uh, it's where, like, you know, you're just kind of breathing shallow. You're kind of in the middle of a meditation. All of a sudden, it's just like, <gasps> you know, like a sudden little deep breath. All of a sudden, uh, And it's like, and he said, he described that as being like a stress release. Like your that body-mind connections, like the mind had like a stressor that it just, boom, released. And so it needed that little sweep of oxygen uh, to just do the final stress release, so to speak. And then you just go right back into a shallow thing again. It's weird. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. From a, from a biochemical standpoint, which probably happened is the CO2 rose to a point and it, cause that's, that's why you sigh like a, a big breath or a sigh. Yeah. Like that's another actually form of dysfunctional breathing. If you yawn or sigh a lot, that is another way for your body to offload CO2. So yeah. like you may have like normal breathing. You may, Oh, I breathe eight breaths per minute, but you know, I sigh or yawn a lot. Well, that's not quite uh, there yet. But so, yeah, but, you know, that again, you know, that's the interesting thing is there's so many different angles to this. Yeah. Like, you know, what psychosomatic, right? What, what was the stress release? What was the biochemical thing? What was the, yes. the biofunction or biomechanical? And so, you know, you can look at how these things influence the body on, on all these different levels and then gain a deeper understanding of, okay, well, what is going on? with my body when I'm yeah. doing these things. You know, what, you know what I think it is, is, uh, you know, we talk a lot about, uh, you know, when we talk about fitness, we're talking about adaptation, right? Mm -hmm. And so the recovery period, especially, is like, you know, you do all this work, you know, you go and you just stress the shit out of your body, right? And then the thing that people forget about is like the, the recovery part. Well, guess what? You know, meditation can be a really killer uh, part of that recovery process. Yeah, and, and it's that stress release. It's like you build up all that good stress, and it's like it's got to go somewhere, pal. You got to do something with it. 
And the beauty part about meditation is, is like through breathing techniques and all that kind of stuff, that's what you're kind of like doing. You're, you're allowing your body to adapt basically. Yeah. And yeah. I, and I think what I see when I do the meditation, I do those little breaths. It's like, that's my body adapting. It's learning how to deal with that and yeah. be more efficient with oxygen and, and carbon dioxide for sure. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah, man. No, it's uh, like I said, it's, it's interesting stuff when you dig in and you see like how these yeah. things can, can influence the body. But like I say, yeah, it's, it's not a bunch of new age bullshit people. No, it's not, man. But it, that's what it has been for so long. Cause you know, I was guilty of it. I mean, I, I understood breathing and I'd had some experience with it and I, I, you know, talked about it and all that, but it didn't really, really, really sink in until like, man, the thing that actually motivated me to get more into the breathing was uh, my snoring and developing sleep apnea. Yeah. Like that, that really, like I've, fucked my nose up a few times and uh and so yeah it runs in my family too my father was a very overweight you know heavy guy yeah and, and he had a bad sleep apnea problem he snored like a son of a bitch and so yeah uh i kind of do that a little bit but I, if i side sleep i'm fine yeah yeah but snoring is a is a form of a breathing dysfunction yeah. And it is, it will. And again, by the time you get people get diagnosed with sleep apnea, they've had it for a while mm -hmm. and it's, it's horrible what that does to you. And so I was like, man, I don't want to end up with a CPAP machine <laughs> or something like that. And so, uh, it, it, that's what really motivated me to start digging into this more. And, and one of the big things was nose breathing. Like that, mm -hmm. that's something we haven't mentioned yet, but like nose breathing is so huge. Like as humans, we are not made to mouth breathe. Like nope. mouth breathing is trauma for your airways. Like when you breathe in through the nose, it is a much different breath of air than when you get, come in through the mouth. Yeah. There, and there's and, two reasons for that too. It's like, I've, uh, I, I literally like about a month or two ago that somebody mentioned that on another podcast. I can't remember where it was. It might've been like the trainer road podcast or something. And he was talking about that very thing. He said, you know, breathing through the nose when you're training. So if you're on the bike and whatever you're doing, you know, Breathing in through your nose, what does it do? It's like one of the biggest things that it does more than anything else is uh, it provides uh, it, it. You breathe through your mouth, you don't get as much uh, hydration. Oh well, so, yeah, every time you breathe out, you're uh, breathing out like forty three percent more moisture than if you breathe out through your nose. Yeah. So and breathing in also gives you a chance to condition the air, yeah. so it does get you know humidified or whatever. But it's exactly. It, gives a chance for the air to, uh, your, your body matches the temperature and the humidity that's optimal for your lungs. It cleans it, you get it filtered and you get nitric oxide, which is a gas that pools only in the nasal cavity. And so when you breathe it in, you're getting nitric oxide along with the air and nitric Wait oxide a is a uh, vasodilator. And which means it makes the, it opens up the blood vessels and makes it easier to, uh, for the blood to flow. And so if you don't breathe in through the nose, then you don't get that nitric oxide. And so it's, uh, yeah, it's a much different breath of air for your body. And we, we are made to breathe through the nose for, for the most part. And so my, my face went under, underwent a pretty dramatic transformation. Like the inside of my left nostril split open Dude. and I had this like painful scab. It's like, it's healed, but that's how much my nose and face widened when I started forcing myself to nose breathe and I started mouth taping at night. So I, I, you know, just putting a piece of scotch tape over the middle of my mouth to just keep my, my <laughs> lips shut. 
You, and, you upgrade, you upgrade later to like, you know, gorilla tape or some shit like that. Well, you know, I, I, yeah, <laughs> you know, the thing is people hear mouth taping and, and I'd heard of it before, but it sounds terrible, right? Like you wake up in the middle of the night and you can't breathe. And it's like, okay, so, but there's ways to do it that, that you can still breathe and talk. And all you're looking for is just some sort of like, you know, gentle nudge in the direction of nose breathing yeah. and your I, body wants to do it and it will adapt to whatever it is that you do. And so if you force your body to nose breathe more, especially at night through the mouth taping, your body will change. Your face will change. Yeah. Your nasal cavity and, and nostrils will change to accommodate that. And so even if you've got, you know, you can't breathe through your nose right now, you can if you if you train your body to do it. And it is a much healthier and more efficient way for your body to breathe than uh, than just mouth breathing, man. And I was a heavy mouth breather. I mean, I I – Mm-hmm. yeah it's it's crazy how quote unquote fit that i was uh and just mouth breathing away and so yeah it's it's it, t- it takes some time like it can take four to six months for your body to fully adapt to it but it will adapt to it and that's what a lot of the studies looked at with nasal breathing is that they were able to achieve like you know 90 percent of their intensity levels through nasal breathing after they trained for yeah. it so you, you only need that last, like, I, I look at breathing, like I call it breathing gears, right. um, you know? And so like the, the, the first gear, the easy gear should be nose only in through the nose, out through the nose, preferably with an exhale that matches the inhale because your exhale is what's going to trigger that stress response. If you have a slow, relaxed exhale, it's going to tilt things towards the rest and relax. If you have a short, sharp exhale, it's going to tilt things towards the, the, the fight or flight. And so first gear should be easy. So it should be in through the nose, out through the nose. Uh, second gear is in through the nose, out through the mouth, uh, a little faster, like, you know, into two, out to one, right? And then finally, you've got your third gear. Like there is a time for mouth breathing. And you, it is that full inhale, exhale. Right. Right. And so, but you should be using your breathing like gears. And the problem is, is that people are usually in third gear just all yep. the time. Mm-hmm. And so if you use your breathing as gears and like one of the things that, that's interesting I've been doing is uh, like before you get to a hill to increase your breathing in anticipation of the hill. Yep. So a you're like, breaths. nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Well, I mean, but so like, say you're going at like, you know, four, you know, four, four or something like that. And that's a cool thing right. with, with cycling is you can count your pedal strokes, right? So nice, easy. Yep. And then you see the hill coming up and it's like, well, before you actually get like, on the hill, like, you know, as you start transitioning to getting on the hill, you go to like a four, two. So you're like, so you're, you're breathing harder right. in anticipation of the effort. And you'll right. find like, instead of like waiting until you have to breathe harder to start breathing harder, if you breathe harder first, you're able to push harder longer than if you'd waited for it. And so again, like using these breathing gears in anticipation of hard efforts will actually help you have those hard efforts but you can't shift up if you're in third gear all the time i'm already in third gear so yeah so that's why like learning how to nose breathe nose breathing should be driving 80 plus percent of your uh your cardio efforts um and yeah it's like i said it's it's it may take a little time it's like someone who uses their low back when deadlifting and they can lift a lot of weight and i say hey you got to change your form or your back's going to blow out and their weight may go down a little bit but they come out the other side and they're stronger and healthier same thing here. You may see your Strava times go down a little bit, guys, if you start trying to adapt some of these things. Yep. But if you give it the time, your body will adapt to it and you will come out the other side 
fitter and healthier for it, which is exactly. an important thing. Yeah. Yeah. And of course I, I can't help the image in my mind that came when you were talking about putting tape over your mouth. <laughs> I was thinking that <laughs> it's like, I'm sure probably people are going to listen to this and the geeky ones are going to end up going straight to like, you know, Keanu Reeves in the matrix when he was in that scene with uh, agent Smith. Oh so yeah. How, uh, how, how are yeah. you going to be able to make your call if you can't speak and hear that? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, put real tape over your mouth. Oh my god. Um, so yeah, that was pretty crazy thought. Yeah. Oh, something else. Uh, since we're talking about weird things that people don't uh sound funny, uh, the neti pot. Do you use the neti pot? I have before, yes. Okay, cool. Yeah, the neti pot is something that I also resisted for a long time because it sounded like waterboarding myself. Um, but <laughs> oh. again, when I got to that point where I'm like, dude, I'm willing to try anything, I'm going to take yeah. my mouth, I'm going to do the neti pot. And it does make a difference. I mean, can, if you have you, stuffy nose, uh, yeah, especially if you get like the 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 saline and and uh, yes, um, have baking to. soda, yeah, that makes a big difference, man. Yep, you gotta, um, you gotta so use the saline on it. You gotta do it just right because if you just run straight water in your nose, oh man, you're in for a world of hurt. <laughs> yeah, was it uh, comfortable? <laughs> I use that. Neil Med is the name of the the company that makes the so. little saline packets. Yeah, that I use, but I use very, very reasonable, little, very cheap. Yeah, and I use that little blue neti pot, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So. But mouth taping and and uh, the neti pot are two things yep. that uh, maybe some things that people resist because they sound funny. But man, if you're if you're trying <laughs> to maximize your cardio, getting your nose working properly is a huge part of that, and those two things can can make a big difference in in that goal. All right. Well, before we go, is a little bit of selfish promotion. Uh, for yeah. Me. Because I know that uh, we've been talking about cardio. And so do you have any like current programs you have on uh, on bikejames.com for any kind of good cardio programs? Yeah, I mean, all of my, um, I, I guess like my ultimate MTB workout program, mm-hmm. uh, that one is the ultimate, obviously. Uh, but that has <laughs> <in> the my, <laughs> right, that has my energy systems development workouts, Um as part of it. And so they, they actually break down specifically like, you know, what, you know, are you a downhill racer? Are you like a trail rider? Are you right. a, you know, cross country racer? So it takes into account these energy systems and pacing development strategies that you need to get the most out of it. And so, and, and they're designed to, I'm a big believer in, um, trying to integrate what you're doing together. Like, so just doing cardio and doing no strength training and no mobility, like maybe it's better than nothing. Oh but that's not my philosophy. And I also find it can sometimes be a little hard to like cobble things together, right? You got a cardio training program from here and a strength training program from here and something else here. Well, each one of the programs thinks that they're going to be the priority in your life. Right. right? And so you've got these things that that are acting that way. So, you know, the ultimate covers all of that. It is the, you know, your, your, uh, your, your mobility, your strength, your cardio. I even cover skills training, mindset stuff like I really made it to be like that one stop program that's gonna you know take people from you know I don't really uh you know I want to get into better strength and conditioning uh for what I'm doing and okay now I got a really good idea of what's going on in a good base it's it's an annual program too I've got a six month off season and a six month in season program and so um so yeah that's the one that I recommend for people who are really interested in kind of digging into um, you know, what my programs and stuff are all about. Cause it incorporates all the different aspects there. And, awesome. uh, yeah, but yeah, because I, I was thinking about actually doing a, I'm, I'm planning a little video right now where I, I you know, walk people through kind of like my own program that I put mm-hmm. together. 
but I definitely want to reference your stuff too, because uh, my way of doing it is not the only way, obviously. So everybody's a little different. Yeah. You know, what and I always and one of the recommendations I'm even I'm going to make in it is uh, just long story short is basically just saying uh, I think any string trainer would probably agree that you don't want to throw a program at someone that they're not capable of actually doing realistically. Like yeah. Exercises it just you do that exercise, you're going to hurt yourself, <laughs> you know, because if you don't know what you're yeah. doing, you're not a there's guy. a risk to benefit ratio with everything. Yeah. Yeah. And, so, and that's why, it, that's why I cringe when I see on Instagram, high level pro riders doing fucking max box jumps, <laughs> stupid shit. It's like, you know what, dude, that person bust their ass or bust their shins and they, you know, like it's yeah. not worth it, man. It's I not got worth a plyo it. box, but I'd never use it to jump on. Yeah, or just or you don't have to like try and see how high you can stack them so you can post it on Instagram so everybody Check will be out, like, bro. "Oh, that's so cool!" It's like, "Oh my god, dude!" Nah, I, it, it's it gets cringe sometimes. It, it, it's like it, what what makes you cringe. Is, we're going on a tangent now towards the end of this thing. Why not? Um, is I, I literally saw this like uh, when I was writing out uh, doors. It's like you see stereotypes all the time, and one of the stereotypes I see all the time is a lot of road riders where it's like you see these guys with these like huge quads, right? And you just kind of look at them as like that looks like abnormal you know it's like if hulk was on a bike you paint this guy green he'd look like the hulk it's like that kind of thing you know mm -hmm. why uh it's like he overworked his quads and, and okay so you can pump on a bike that's nice but it just it's weird it's the same thing yeah. as the guys doing this stuff on plyo boxes and stuff like that it's like it's such a stereotype like look what i can do yeah okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know? yeah 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 the quad thing is i think a matter of the uh the quad dominance from the ball the foot position not allowing the hips uh, like so, yeah. adapt to that because there's uh it's not as bad as with guys but you notice this with girls man unfortunately I mean, i'm just gonna like say it it's not a super popular thing to say <laughs> but you would think that in a sport where everybody walks around in spandex that you would just be pumped as a dude and man i hate to say it but like there is an epidemic of female riders which is flat asses and i don't think that it's a coincidence that you can't recruit your hips and your glutes seated pedaling on the ball of your foot and you you see this oh. even in like even in like you know men as well it's just not as pronounced yeah uh but the, there's a huge discrepancy between the size and strength of those quads in the size and strengths of their hamstrings and glutes. Yeah. And like that's what makes the quads yeah. look so funny. They're just so overgrown compared to the other muscles in the, in the body that it looks weird. And so it's yeah. a, uh, I see that a yeah, lot of weightlifters too. You know, it's like, you know, you see like Arnold Schwarzenegger back in the day and that guy had some calves, you know? Yeah. It was. Yeah. 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 So they, if anybody's in, go back with the, the one we did on training. I talk about yes, some yes, of the yes. different strength training stuff and, or no, no, the pedal stroke. That was right. That's right. The, yeah. the pedaling innovations. What about the catalyst pedal? Because that's the yep. whole idea behind the, the catalyst pedal is allowing yep. you to get the hips into it more. So, yep. um, yeah, we'll yeah, yeah, man. Later at a later date and talk about even what we were just talked about. That's like an episode in of itself, really. Yeah. Um, you know, dogging on people with big quads. <laughs> well, I always need to get their glutes and, and hamstrings up to par. I'm not. Yeah. A, I, I'm, I like big muscles. That's the meathead father in me. But that's uh, cool. Yeah. No, man. It's. Uh, but yeah, the the body should have some symmetry yes. to it. 
So, uh, and I think that's more what we see is when you see something that's asymmetrical, that's where, you know, we're, we're, you know, evolutionary biology tells yeah. us that we're, you know, we seek this symmetry. And so yeah. we see something that doesn't match it. And it's like, oh, that's weird. So, um, but yeah, it's yeah. that adaptation. The body will adapt to whatever you do to it. You don't nose breathe. Guess what's going to happen? Your nose is not going to work, right? Nope. You know, you'll reuse your quads. Guess what's going to happen? My quads are going to grow bigger than everything else. Yep. So, but, uh, Eat too but much yeah, pudding. my, my ass is going to get bigger as well as my stomach. Um, yes, yes. Unfortunately. It's, well, righty, man. Well, Hey, thanks again for coming on. And Hey, this was an awesome no problem. I think I, I, no doubt in my mind, I think people are going to find this to be an invaluable uh, conversation for a lot of people. I hope so. And just all the hate email about the, the comment about the, the, the female cyclist yeah. send it to me. That wasn't Jeff's fault. He had nothing, <laughs> that wasn't on the show notes, but no, you know, the, it's Again, just, I, I, I say it because I want to help people, right? Like if you yes. don't identify a problem, then you can't identify a solution to yeah. the problem. It's not certainly like uh, hating. It's just observation, right? I mean, yeah. I see things all the time. It's like, yeah, I'm hating on people with these guys with these big, you know, quads. It's like, but it's just, I see it and I go, uh, it's like the guys that like, that, that stroll down our uh, street, uh, just banging the, uh, uh, you know, the hip hop music and stuff. It's, yeah, but it's weird. It's like it's like hip hop, but then because they're of uh, you know Hispanic origin, it's like it's got it, it's in Spanish at the same time. Uh, I call it Gatano. Uh, <laughs> so, and it's just like, oh my god, you're a rolling stereotype. What's up with that? Uh, it's just yeah, it's stereotypes are just kind of funny at times. I'm, they so are funny. funny. <laughs> There's a reason they're stereotypes is because they're usually true on some level, but. <laughs> Again, the problem is when you let stereotypes drive your thinking as opposed yes. to just noticing yeah. and appreciating them. Yeah. So just know, uh, folks, we're not trying to like, you know, poke at anybody. It's just all, you know, out of, out of good fun. Yeah, so. exactly. Exactly. So, but uh, yeah, man, it's been fun as always. And yep. uh, yeah, look, look forward to, uh, to the next one. I forget. What are we talking about? Some, some... Uh, well, I think the next one we're going to talk about, let's talk about bike tips. Yes, that's what it was. Yeah, so not just bike tips, but just tips in general. Like, I mean, I'm sure you probably have like a ton of tips that you can talk about with just uh, yeah. you know, strength training alone. Uh, I've got tons of shit that I, I literally had a couple experiences uh, in some recent gravel rides that where I'm like, oh shit, that's a good tip. Uh, that kind of thing. Like stuff yeah. that happened to me that like, oh, here's a tip for you. <laughs> you know? Yep. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, man, it's good. There's a lot of... Uh... So there's a lot of uh, misinformation floating around out there about the best way to ride your bike. So, yep. um, and just yeah. things you didn't even really even think about that. Uh, yeah. like, oh shit. If I had just had this on my ride, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. So a lot of stuff like that. So yeah, we'll talk about that maybe <laughs> next, uh, next time. Yeah, for sure. Well, all righty, man. Well, until then you have a good day. Yeah. Sounds good, buddy. And there you have it, another fantastic episode of the VeloNut Podcast. And, of course, I always thank Mr. James Wilson of Pedaling Innovations. You can go to pedalinginnovations.com to check out his Catalyst pedals. And if you're interested in some of his uh, strength training routines, that we, and including some of the ones we talked about, uh, just go to bikejames.com. That's where you can go to to find MTB Training System is bikejames.com. And uh, just like I said, you know, we get a little salty in the end. So if you find that anything we've said offensive, I sincerely apologize. Again, we kind of be a dominant personalities. Definitely don't hold any back anything and definitely don't pull any punches. So it is what it is, folks. And hopefully you enjoyed this episode. And we hopefully like to see you next time. And again, if you like what you hear, 
please, please, please go on to iTunes or wherever you like to listen to your podcasts and offer up a review. We sincerely appreciate it. Until next time, keep calm and pedal on.